everyone, I'm super excited to be back with y'all. Today we have John Evans who created Gather the Suspects. So, Gather the Suspects launched earlier this year and it immediately caught my attention because how could something described as a quote, post-apocalyptic Welsh cozy murder mystery, end quote, not immediately make all of your cool show signals go off? And talking to John about his inspirations and how he crafted such a fun-loving mystery series was illuminating to me as someone who both enjoys his show and is in love with the murder mystery genre, and I hope it's the same for you. All right, just like last time, a bit of Gather the Suspects is about to play, so let me give you some context. Kara and Veronica break into the apartment of a suspected killer. There you go, that's the context. Okay, let's get into it. Transcripts can be found at WGCProductions.com, and remember, this is a WGC production. Should we shout to let them know we are here? What? Like, hello, it's the crazy people who have broken into your apartment. <laughs> no. In an Alex maybe lying somewhere hurt, unable to get up kind of way. Okay, okay. Uh, 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 hello? It's us. Cara and Veronica. We just wanted to check everything is all right. Hello. In a horror movie, this would be the moment the killer jumps out. Shush. That's not going to happen. No one's even here. Okay. So, why have you grabbed hold of that golf club by the door? Just in case no one does decide to turn up. Okay, a quick look around and we're out. You take a look in the bedroom, I'll look in here. Jonathan is a writer and audio creator telling stories about Wales from a modern Welsh perspective. Jonathan released his first series, Gathered the Suspects, in March of 2021, and remains amazed he wrote something people found funny. As well as his work in audio drama, Jonathan runs a copywriting business where he helps small businesses tell their story and navigate the dark art of search engine algorithms. Hi, John. How are you doing? Hi, I'm good. Thank you. How are you? I'm also do I'm doing quite well. I'm glad that you're here. Uh, yeah, that's good, good to finally talk. <laughs> yeah. So I'm just going to launch into the first question that I ask everybody. Where exactly do you come from and where are your roots? Uh, so at the moment, I'm a Welshman living in England, uh, but my roots are very firmly in Wales. Um, I think we tried to face, uh, trace our family tree back once and it just went for generations within Wales. <laughs> so it was quite boring. Um, everyone else has these wide branching all over the world, but no, Welsh, miners, farmers, yeah, as far back as we can find. <laughs> all right. And, and what exactly is it that you do in your own words? A kind of by day, uh, as I said in the introduction, I'm a copywriter, um, so I run a writing business. But then uh, the other half is I am an audio creator. So over the last year, I've been looking to create more and more audio shows and, and content based on Wales and telling the stories of Welsh people. Hmm. And what exactly is it about Wales that moves you to, to want to create shows uh, about modern Welsh living? Well, I think it's the element of the underdog almost. Um, I mean, we were the small neighbour um, <laughs> as far as it's concerned next to England. Um, outside of probably Europe, not a lot of people know much about Wales or can even point it on a map. <laughs> uh, so, <laughs> I mean, you know, it, it's something that particularly since I moved to England, um, you know, that part of my heritage is, is it's something in Wales, we call it Heraith. Um, and there's no kind of direct English translation to it, really. But it's it's almost a it's it's more than nostalgia, but it's it's that kind of longing for something that may not exist, but exists kind of in your mind and in your heart. Mm -hmm. And it's something that kind of is quite important in the Welsh culture. And I think very much, you know, being away and particularly over the pandemic where I couldn't go back home, I think it was really important. For me, you know, to, to kind of embrace that part, really. Hmm. Interesting. We're going to put a pin in that because I'm going to circle back to how Welsh, how Welsh culture and, uh, and your heritage sort of influences your work. But hmm. I'm going to ask you first about your show. So this is how I found out who you were. Uh, I listened to your show, Gather the Suspects, which is a, a post-apocalyptic co cozy murder mystery. 
can you just sort of talk to us about how exactly the idea came to your to your mind and then how you sort of worked to write and develop it? Yeah, no problem. So it actually started as a fusion of two different stories that I was working on. Um, so on the one hand, I had a cozy mystery uh, that was still based in, in an apartment block. Uh, and it was called Gather the Suspects in the Kitchenette. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it was, it was very much a standard, a standard murder mystery. And on the other hand, I was working on, I'm not going to say it was a dystopian novel, because it wasn't really, but the whole premise was that society had fallen and Wales was under under the power of a, a benign dictator and I was kind of seeing where that went and I really I was really struggling to solve the problem with the cozy murder mystery of look there's police why wouldn't they just come in and solve this crime mm-hmm. why are these guys taking it you know kind of running with it and that's when they kind of said well actually you know I could combine the two you know because in this world, that police force has collapsed and then bring it in. So, yeah, it was almost a fusion, really, of the, of the two that came up. Hmm. And I, I know you mentioned that I heard you say that the dystopian um, the dystopian part was originally a novel. Do you write novels as well as audio dramas? Or? Uh, well, <laughs> I think try to write novels okay. is probably the best way of putting it. And I think, I mean, when I do novels, and it was a completely different way than I wrote Gather the Suspects in that, you know, I'll sit there with a blank page, I have an idea, and then I'll try and write it. And then I'll get halfway through, and I'll be really bored of it. And then I'll scrap it. And then I might go back to it again in sort of a few years. But I think with Gather the Suspects, I planned out meticulously almost every scene before I wrote anything down. Mm. And I think that was such a different way of writing for me. But yeah, I mean, it completely worked and something that I'm not sure I could do that level of planning to finish a novel but um, yeah it's, it's something that potentially in the future okay and, and you've already started talking about it but could you also just kind of go through what your writing process was like for gather the suspects because uh mysteries are just really interesting because like everything adds up so can you just talk about like what it was like writing the six episodes that make up the series yeah no problem um so i mean I, I, I was fleshing out the idea literally sat in the bar <laughs> and the whole overarching plot I literally did in the space of about one hour mm-hmm. of with my phone just going yeah that, that this is what I know is going to happen and this is going to be how we get to the end and then as I said it was the the trickiest bit as you said you're in a bit is how that end bit actually works and I think there's a bit of reverse engineering goes on in that if you could work out that ending piece first and how it's going to fit together. And I, and when it's your own work, sometimes it's quite hard to tell. And I've spoken to other people who've listened to it and I'm like, did you spot this bit in this scene? Did you spot this bit in this scene? <laughs> because you are, you're doing that reverse engineer where you go, right, well, I know this is how it's going to happen. And I know this is, you know, how they're going to have done it. So how can we plan clues in each of those scenes? So then that made it easy to go back to the scenes and go, right, well, this scene's going to be about X. I know we need to have this question posed at the start of this episode, which is going to need to be moved along by the end of the episode. And it was literally a case of plotting out scene by scene. This is roughly what the action is going to be. And yeah, pretty pretty much stuck to it for the, for the production. Question. When you were writing this, and I know... I kind of heard it, but I, I just want to clarify. When you were writing this, did you intend for the audience to be able to figure out who did it at the end? Yeah, I think I think you can. I think there are enough clues um, that that you can. And I think before I, you know, before I even showed it to any of the cast or anything like that, I I, I did the old thing of run it by my dad because mm-hmm. you know he reads a lot of murder mysteries. And I was like, if he can get it, then yeah. And then, but the other thing was, I didn't want anybody getting it too soon. Mm-hmm. So you've got the balance of, well, I don't want anyone getting in an episode two, but then equally, you don't want anybody when the payoff comes going, well, that was, I didn't see that. <laughs> you know, that, that just came from nowhere. That wasn't earned at all. So yeah, it, it is that balancing act. And I think, I think my dad managed to guess it midway through episode five. Huh? <laughs> so it's like, that, that's, that's probably quite good. You know, you've got your suspicion and then, and then move on. So yeah, it, it, but it is definitely a balancing act. 
uh, if it's any consolation, I didn't get until episode six. So you did, you laid the clues, <laughs> but I, I didn't see it. I didn't see it coming like that. Um, now, one thing that I really appreciated about Gather the Suspects was the characters. They were all like so distinct. My personal favorite's Jack, mm. but um, they were all so distinct and interesting in, in particular, and, and they added to the world in such a unique way. And since you've plotted the story so carefully, I want to know, did you come up with the characters first or did you come up with the plot first? That characters, because I mean, the the characters were already in that original story that I was plotting out on the other side. So I already had the idea of Jack um, and I kind of knew Jack's character and kind of how that would work in terms of the humour. Um, and I knew he needed somebody to play off, which obviously then would be Kara uh, and kind of what their relationship would be like. I think Geraint probably arose a little later. Um, I think originally he was a little less involved and was more or less just there to pay their rent <laughs> um, and sort of dig them out of trouble. Uh, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the two central characters certainly were were there from that kind of original original piece. Um, and there were some others as well that were there pretty early on. I think the Hamsons uh, were, were pretty much one of the first characters I wrote and were were pretty sure that I wanted to kind of work out my Brexit frustration <laughs> somewhere. And then it seemed, it seemed the perfect opportunity was to, was to yeah, insert them um, into it. I mean, yeah, I mean, a lot of the characters were written. And although the words are the same as the words I wrote, the characters evolved a lot when we started, you know, working with the cast and, you know, hearing how they were delivering things. And just their different takes, you know, on the characters. I mean, Jack in my head, when I wrote it, is completely different than Jack is now. But James did such a good job. <laughs> you know, he's such a good actor. I didn't, you know, I kind of let him take it the direction that he wanted to. And I think it works really well. Well, this is an intriguing concept. How exactly have they changed when the, when the cast got it? Like, what was your idea and then and what was different? I think Jack and Kara, in my mind, were were more similar in kind of you know the the spiky delivery mm -hmm. piece and I think it works much better the way it is now because they are two completely different characters and, and a lot of that is down to the way that, that James took Jack you know and, and made him almost uh, a bit sillier in certain ways uh -huh. you know in the way he was delivering things and and kind of made it less serious you know in in the way so you've got Kara who is more serious and more kind of direct and then you've got James who is bit more madcap mm -hmm. um on the other side and I think that dynamic definitely changed when we started working with the actors for it mm. that's that is interesting how like it just brought a different sort of vibe he reminded me of Milton Jones almost the comedian and I noticed that you said earlier also that the way that you wrote it wasn't necessarily the way that the characters interpreted it and that's sort of changed how you wrote it later were you writing these episodes concurrently as they were being recorded or did you have the whole series done and then they brought it in and you did revisions yeah, no, so I had the whole series done. Um, I think by the time I finished the writing, I only had uh, Beth and cast um, as Kara. Mm -hmm. And then the rest were cast after. But I mean, it has, but there's no doubt it's changed how I'm writing the second series <laughs> and how I'm currently writing the rest based on how they took it. But yeah, I mean, as I said, it's less about the words that I wrote, but it's very much their performances that were potentially different takes on what I had but I mean I think they're infinitely better <laughs> you know the way that they came out really and how exactly long did it take you to finish writing the series I, I probably started about this time last year actually oh uh and then I finished it I was supposed to finish it in August and I finished <laughs> it I think in October <laughs> yeah, by the time we'd actually finished uh and then we cast over oh, I think we finished casting by the end of November and then recorded over Christmas. And I know that um, from listening to the credits at the end of the show, I know that there were at least two people involved. It was you as the writer and director. And then uh, that other person's name is escaping my mind at the time, but they were they were over like the sound and the music and such. Uh, how big was your team for this product? Was it just the two of you guys? Yeah, it was. Um, so I was very lucky. So... I obviously did all the writing and everything up front. Um, <clears throat> I had no idea how I was going to make it. <laughs> uh, I, it's, I've, I've always been kind of one of those people who will just go for it and then work out what to do at a later date when it comes to actually filling in the details. 
Uh, and I mean, I had no budget either, literally. And I, I mean, most of the cast I'd or, I already knew mm-hmm. in some, you know, in some way, shape or form before this. But I came across Luke actually on Reddit, um, which was really lucky. And it was, he put a post up on the audio drama subreddit saying that I'm looking for some experience. I've done these couple of, um, you know, one-off audio dramas before anyone would want me to work on their stuff. So I popped him through a, a message and, you know, we, we clicked really well. And he was obviously based in the east of the US. So, it, you know, timelines were a bit difficult uh, with me in the UK and him in the US. But I mean, it worked quite well. You know, I do stuff in the day, hand it off in the evening. And then by the morning, you know, it was ready to pick up. So, yeah, it, it, it worked generally quite well. And so, like, listening to your timeline, this was essentially all produced during the pandemic. So it was all produced uh, during quarantine. Yeah. It was probably recorded remotely as well, yes? Yes, which was probably the most difficult bit of the entire thing. do share. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, to start off with, because I had no experience, I had nothing to kind of lean on really in terms of how I was going to do this. Um, it, you know, it was always going to have an element of trial and error at the start. But I think, as I said, you know, the cast were either people I knew or people that I'd recruited from various places. So, I mean, we we had some of our cast in America. Um, we have one cast member, TN, um, who plays Mr. Khan in Australia, mm. uh, which which obviously is, an, is, is another uh, difficulty in terms of sort of trying to line up uh, things like table reads. Yeah. But, I mean... Bless TN, you know, he used to do five five AM table reads his time and then spend the day in work straight afterwards. <laughs> you know, so you know, there's a lot of commitment there, um, you know, to do it. And yeah, I I think knowing what I know now about production, I would have handled it differently at the start. And I think anybody thinking obviously about starting, you know, an audio production, you know, if you are doing it remotely, there's a lot of good collaboration tools, which at the time, I probably wasn't available or wouldn't have known how they worked, which now, you know, I'm more comfortable with. And I think there are ways you can remote record um, quite successfully and a lot easier um, than doing it. So, I mean, most of the cast lines were recorded in isolation with them sending in takes and then me putting those takes together, requesting retakes of certain lines or certain bits where the audio quality wasn't quite good enough and that kind of back and forth. And it was only... I mean, me and James recorded all of his lines for Jack, for example, together um, using Soundtrap Mm -hmm. uh, so we could both collaborate and talk while we were recording them and I could give him more direction. Um, I think doing that process and going through it, I definitely would have done more of the recording that way (laughs) in in future. And I think going forward, yeah, we will um, do more on the remote side. And that's one thing that you would have done differently. What are some other things that you would have done differently since you know more now than you did before you started production? Well, and I think, as I said, we had a basically no budget um, <laughs> making it. You know, there's a lot of people that I didn't ask to do things because I was too, no, I haven't got any money to pay them. I'm not going to bother them. You know, there's a pandemic on, they've got their own problems. <laughs> you know, I'm, I'm not going to be like, oh, come and do this for me for free. Uh, and then, you know, I've spoken to them since. They're like, you should have asked me. <laughs> and I'd have been happy to help out. And I think, yeah, I think don't be afraid to kind of ask the question. I think as long as you're honest up front and, you know, you say, this is a situation, this is what we're looking to do, then, you know, the worst someone can say is no, <laughs> you know, I'm not going to do that. And I think that's probably the other big lesson I've learned is, yeah, just, you know, ask for help a bit more, I think, and, and use your contacts a bit more. And then... You also mentioned that there were some collab tools that you learned about afterwards that you would like to use more of. And you mentioned one in particular uh, that you used with James when recording. Were there other ones as well, or was it, or was it just that one? Uh, yeah, so Clean Feed's quite a good one. We ammed and odd about Clean Feed at the time, but again, given that none of us had any experience kind of doing it, we were like, <laughs> oh, maybe it's not the safest option. Uh, but, you know, I've been trying it myself since you know and different things and also I've got people doing you know that I know that are doing other audio projects using it at the moment uh you know doing quite well-known audio projects and you know they really recommend it um as well I mean Soundtrap is I think it's from Spotify and it's it's quite basic but I mean it was it, you know 
we got cast members of different levels of technical skills mm-hmm. and you know all you have to do is it's same as sort of Zencast you know you send them out a, a a link and then they can just sign straight in um and you can record them so yeah it, it's it's easy really all right and and one thing that you've mentioned repeatedly throughout this is that this is sort of like your first time doing like a project like this doing an audio drama like this so I want to know what what exactly drove you to do audio dramas I mean audio has always been something that I've just always enjoyed and I think you know from being a kid and kind of listening to tapes in the car as they were then <laughs> cassette and I mean you know when I was really young kid you know all the way through to when I was a teenager I discovered BBC Radio 4 and you know listening to all of those audio dramas it's just always been something that I've kept up with and I think with my writing and I think Neil Gaiman said, you know, he he never had a career. He just had a list of things that he wanted to write. Mm-hmm. I think that that's, that's generally always been, you know, the way I've kind of viewed it is that, you know, I've never gone, oh, I'm a novelist, drawing my point. You know, it's always just been, I'm a writer. Here's what I want to write. But, you know, by the time, you know, my time is up. Um, but audio was always that first step. Um, you know, that first one I really wanted to do. Um, and one of my friends from school is actually in Oblivity. Um, oh. I'm not sure if you're familiar with that one. Um, so he's at Lowell uh, in Oblivity. And I was chatting to him and, you know, he was telling me about the way they do it. And I thought, I could, you know, if I, now I've got a bit of time, you know, I, I could actually just do it and and kind of see where I can take it. So he put me in touch with, the you know, the guys who write and direct Oblivity so I could get some more you know information off them about sound design and things and then yeah I just decided to do it so besides asking from asking people that you know and like using these the community that you've built uh how do you learn about um other elements of of building and producing audio dramas like how do where do you go to learn youtube okay (laughs) It, it, it sounds like a cliche but I mean most of what I can now do on most doors or, you know, is is because of just watching YouTube videos and, and kind of listening. And you will watch a lot and then you'll listen, you'll try the production, you're like, that doesn't work. And, but, you know, there are quite good people. I, I can't think of any now off the top of my head <laughs> to, to recommend. Uh, but yeah, but no, YouTube is, is a, a really good place just to go and you know because you can actually watch them do it as well and the steps that they're taking you can rewind it and you know follow along with them but yeah it's the complete DIY way of, of yeah trying to do audio drama really all right I mean that's that's useful that's useful um <laughs> all right I'm gonna bring it back together the suspects uh just hmm. some things that I noticed I just want to ask you about because I like the show and if the creator's here why not ask um <laughs> throughout the throughout the show you kind of like have mentions of other like massive murder mystery cozy mystery projects like jack mentions like poirot and there's mentions of like agatha christie and magnum pi and the midsummer uh midsummer murders so like mm-hmm. what exactly are your mystery influences and and like what influenced this project in that way so i mean i literally just come off probably about a six month binging session of all of the agatha christie uh, audio drama oh, really? from the BBC. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I was just hooked. And I think prior to that, I hadn't really, I mean, I, I watched a lot of mysteries on TV and I'd read probably a lot of Agatha Christie, but outside of that, and probably Wilkie Collins as well, my my actual mystery knowledge was, was sort of fairly lacking. And I think I, I literally listened to them so many times and I was trying to work out the beats and you know how they were structuring their episode and kind of the perfect length and how they were leaving episodes and moving on to the next one and yeah so I mean that was probably the biggest one on the mystery side I think but a lot of what influenced it wasn't so much on the mystery side it was more the rest of the stuff that was happening (laughs) at the time And, and as I said earlier you know the Hamptons were probably the best example of that it was just trying to work through some some of the things that were going on um, <laughs> in a humorous way, I think. Okay. Another thing that I, I kind of picked up on when I was listening to the series was like the sort of theme of the tyranny of crowds. Uh, there's even a quote by Terry Pratchett that, uh, that uh, Cara quotes, Cara quotes when she says, the same crowd that coordinates you is the same one at your execution. And like, that's kind of like a, a general theme throughout, throughout the six episodes. So I want to know like, 
what about this theme spoke to you and and uh and and what about it made you want to like include it in the work and again i I think it goes back to that just trying to work through kind of what was going on in the world at the time and i think Uh i I was in a very, very cynical place when I wrote that. And I think lockdown probably didn't help. But I, I mean, there was a lot happening, in, particularly sort of in America um, with, with Trump um, and everything. But here as well with Brexit. And I, it was just fascinating to me watching the way that people were going along with things and being manipulated and, you know, the QAnon stuff and being part of this thing that was QAnon was almost bigger more important to life regardless of if there was any truth in it you know whether or not they believed it that was what was most important to them at the time and I think that had a big influence on particularly on the committee meeting <laughs> and, and kind of yeah how crowds can behave and the kind of dynamic um within them really mm. all right and uh, another thing so like right after massive spoiler alert but right after they find Linda's body they have like this chase scene where they have this nice light jazzy music going in the background. <laughs> and that music stood out to me because like it's so clearly um it fits so well. That's what I'm saying. It fits so well with the the vibe of the characters. It felt so well with the design of the show and the dialogue. And I just wanted to know, and I know that you said uh that Luke does more of the sound design stuff, but I wanted to know like how did you communicate such a clear creative vision to make all of these elements sort of work together in a way that is very cohesive. Mm-hmm. I mean, the, the, it's funny you should pick out that particular uh, instance because there was a lot of debate around that because, as you probably know, there's no other music apart from the beginning and end theme all the way through the show, apart from the chasing where we put the drums in. And, and I think we probably went to at least 10 different volumes of drums before we, we figured out it's there. If you're listening, you can hear it, but we don't want it too intrusive. Mm-hmm. Because then I think it would be a bit dissonant with the fact that there is no sort of yeah music in the rest of the show. Um, another example of you know how we had to figure things out almost as we went along. So episode five, I mean half of episode five is them watching a VHS of an eighties comic stand up show. Yes, <laughs> and, I mean, that was the last thing that was written. Um, I mean that the, it was in there in the script as in that Jack Carr and Garen's dialogue was in there, but the comedy show wasn't in there. That was literally written probably the day before me and James actually recorded it as the last thing. Um, Even then, we didn't really know exactly how that was going to work and how we could get that sounding like we wanted it to. Yeah, it was just calls with Luke and going, do you think this works? Him sending stuff back on, yeah, this is what I've done. Do you think it sounds right? Yeah, just a lot of back and forth, really. All right. I appreciate good communication. So one thing that I also uh, also noticed, not noticed, I follow you on Twitter. I read, but you're working on you're working <laughs> on a Halloween special. And you're also working on season two. So let's go in order. Could you talk about the Halloween special, like what what you're intending for that and how that's going? Yes. So the Halloween special is we're moving out of the the Christie verse. And into the Scooby Doo verse uh, for this one, and I think the characters will work, you know, in the in that kind of it, it's a subtle change. Mm-hmm. Um, so they're going to dog, for example. Um, but yeah, I mean, just I, I I read actually one of your tweets earlier about holiday specials, um, and I think I have the same, but for Halloween specials, uh-huh. <laughs> and I think it's it's just growing up with with terrible sitcoms, and I think you know they all have Halloween specials that don't necessarily fit the timeline or the continuity of the rest of the show. But, you know, there's always something going on. And I think it was a chance to do something that was a bit different. So try add a a few more sort of dramatic elements and some horror elements in there, um, but without losing, you know, the essence of the show, really, and and kind of what made the first series sort of successful. Uh, So that is currently spiraling <laughs> quite <laughs> rapidly. <laughs> so what was intended initially to be probably two half-hour episodes to be released around Halloween is probably at three at the moment. Um, <laughs> so, uh, yeah, it's going to need either some hefty editing or will actually become the second season at the moment. I'm not entirely sure which, but it needs to be finished by the end of this month. Okay. 
essentially. <laughs> so it gives us enough time to to record it. The second series, I mean, I actually had the outline of the second and third series planned when I outlined the first series. So I kind of knew the situations and kind of what they were. So after I finished the first season, the first thing I went I did was go back and flesh out the second season and kind of work out, well, okay, this is what we know, what we want to happen. How is that going to happen? Um, so that's, well, I was intended to be a bit further down the road with that one as well, but then obviously the Halloween one, as, as I said, a spiral slightly, uh, which is taking the pressure off slightly of it. But um, yeah, but I mean, it's it's being written at the moment. Since this is like the second season and you've already done the first one, uh, have you found that there's any sort of difference between your writing process for the second season and your writing process for the first one? Writing process, not so much. I think it's been a lot easier writing the characters. Now I've got a first season of actors doing those characters. You know, it, it, it just makes it a lot a, a lot of easier to flow and easier to put through. And I think the second series is still as tightly plotted as the first season, the, the Halloween episode quite not quite so much uh, which is probably why it's it's still going um yeah but no I mean it, it's still very much the, the same process it is just you know the way the characters the understanding of them I have now is so much better than I did and almost you know I've got feedback from a lot of people who've listened to it and you kind of know what works what didn't work where you need to tighten up on certain things and I think that helps mm. okay well I'm excited and uh I'm interested to see like the new environment because it happens in an office and I don't know how that's going to, anyway, we're going to move on. Oh yeah. So, <laughs> so that is something that is different because I've, I've been having to work in a subplot into the story. So obviously gather suspects season one is very self-contained in that it all takes place in that one building. Whereas in series two, you've got Jack and Cara and Veronica and Maché Veronica Maché, two of my favorite characters that I actually wrote, were a much bigger part in this because obviously it takes part in the office where they all work. Mm. But then obviously you've got the other plot still going on back in Prosperity Heights where the elections are brewing for, for the <laughs> Residents Association. So it's trying to fit those two sort of elements in different locations together as well has been, has been a bit more tricky. Oh, how so? How has it been tricky? I think it's just because I've never written a subplot. Okay. <laughs> so it's just, it's just sort of work out the beats and kind of making sure that, you know, there's enough in both without one detracting from the other and the other one supporting that one with the subplot probably setting up the main plot for <clears throat> season three, if you see what I mean. But it's just a, it's just a different dynamic, really. Um, and I think one of the things I probably did write myself into a slight hole with is obviously I used Kara as a narrator. Mm-hmm which works really well. And obviously it's a play on the way that, you know, some of the Christie books are written with um, Hastings and, and uh, people like that doing the narration and, you know, acting as that that kind of foil, mm-hmm. which I really liked. But then it, it, it's more difficult for a subplot because nowhere in the first season does anything happen without Cara being there. Mm-hmm. And so in the subplot, that's not the case. No, it, <laughs> this is the thing at the moment and she might be there's a bit of rejigging going on where I, yeah it, it, it's something to work out I think whether or not she needs to be there or if, you know it's, it's one of those writers uh, <laughs> <laughs> writers dilemmas at the moment all right well godspeed on that I, I wish you the best <laughs> thank you one thing that I am curious about is this is your first project, but you also mentioned like at the very beginning of the interview that you wanted to work on, on more projects as well. So, so I want to know like, what is, what else is floating around in your mind? So I, and the, we talked about novels earlier. This one actually came from a novel that I was writing probably at the start of the pandemic and I got bored of and put to one side, but I think the story is right. I just don't think I wanted to write as a novel. And um, so it's another audio story and it's a southern gothic style story set in the south wales coalfields during it's called the 1905 revival okay um which is a religious revival and it's quite hard to explain if <laughs> if, it, if you kind of not had that, that back on but i mean wales is very non-conformist um in terms of its religious style so whereas england you know you've got church of england anglicism and it's you know 
almost another branch opposite of Catholicism, you know, where it's these grand bishops and things. In Wales, it's very much small churches, you know, small chapels, traveling preachers come around. And even now, to this day, you know, it's still very much those small chapels with, with traveling preachers. And this is a time of great social change. So you had the Labour Party and the Social Democrat Party, you know, bringing unionism essentially to the coal mines. And the revival started, some people believe, as a reaction to that, you know, where they were trying to say, stop worrying about all that stuff and start focusing on God again. Mm -hmm. And, you know, thousands, you know, tens of thousands of people converted overnight. You know, you had mass conversions happening. The churches were full to bursting. Um, So I just think it's a really strange time you know that must have been i think to to set a story in you know something that even you know a hundred years after it happened you know it still has marks on the valleys where i grew up you know and you can kind of see how that changed things you know for some of the people lived there and i think it but it works really well for a southern gothic star story as well you know with the fire and brimstone traveling preachers Uh so yes i'm working on that one at the moment um we've already got a couple of cast uh, members in there and then uh i'm also working on a time traveling comedy okay uh, <laughs> where, where uh, a girl travels back to the miners strike in 1984 which is called 1984 oh. uh, which is a bit further <laughs> down the road uh, at the moment <laughs> so that one's a, a bit more in development uh you know a bit in development down the road but no i mean the Dust of the Earth, which is the other one, is is being actively written at the moment. Mm. The Dust of the Earth sounds really, really interesting. I don't know much about whales, which is my personal ignorance, but that sounds like a really fascinating, uh, fascinating setting. And I can't wait to see what characters you come up with to, to fit in with it. Yeah, and I think it's it's one of those things where you go down the research rabbit hole. <laughs> I spent I spent months just reading all this stuff and just in awe, you know. And then there's these preachers that you know overnight just went oh there's loads of money to be made there. i'm gonna go train as a preacher and then became really famous and really powerful like overnight in these communities and then either went mad and disappeared okay. <laughs> you know, some of them believed that you know god was speaking to them directly and that, you know it was just such a such a strange time <laughs> i thought this would make a great place you know to set a story so after hearing some more of your ideas i have a question i have a question which is perfect since we're in an interview <laughs> so Gather the Suspects is a post-apocalyptic cozy murder mystery. The You said it was Dust of the Ashes was the name? Uh, Dust of the Earth. Dust of the Earth, thank you. Dust of the Earth is a historical fiction. 1984 is a um, time travel comedy. There's a, lot, there's a lot of genre here. There's a lot of, um, like a lot of genre. Do you, do you have any, uh, any intention or any will to do modern stories or, or like what's up with What's up with that? <laughs> I yeah, and I think I mean, I I and this probably goes back to why the fact I haven't finished a novel uh, in, <laughs> in, in you know the past twenty years. Uh, and I think I mean I I trained as a philosopher you know in university, and I think I spent so long thinking that I had to write something that had a message or was profound and you know said something and and sort of spoke to people that I just never finished anything, you know, because, I mean, one day maybe, yeah, you know, I will have that that thing where that, you know, must be said. And I think I just had so much fun writing genre fiction that I thought, yeah, <laughs> why not? You know, It's like the serious stuff can wait, you know, for a few years. I'll get some more years experience and then then kind of go back to it. But I think at the moment, yeah, genre fiction was, was where I was having most fun, really. Hmm. That's interesting. It's interesting hearing that you were um, educated in philosophy. That's a, that's a very fascinating thing, especially since like that coupled with the fact that you do research for your shows. It's just interesting seeing uh, or thinking about how that might all uh, impact mm. your process. Have you given any thought to like how your background as uh, a philosopher has impacted your impacted your process? Yeah, it does, and I think it, it sounds pretentious, but I think. <laughs> You, it, it can't, you, I think, you know, it affects kind of everything in your way of thinking, you know, that, that you do things. But I mean, as I mentioned, you know, I, I run a writing business and very much everything I do has that kind of grounding in research and, you know, the way you have to think about ideas and putting different ideas across. So, you know, it's, it's something that bleeds across, not just 
my my fun writing as I like to call it, but also the you know the the, the other kind of paid stuff as well. But I think yeah, I, I mean most of the my opinions and things I guess are kind of forged you know over sort of you know that time and and you know the books that I was reading and the, the philosophers that I was studying and you know it, it can't not really have an impact and how you view the world really I think and I think that as much as anything comes across in the writing that I chose to do really hmm. and this is just sort of a general question because I find that with writers when like you read or consume their entire body of work you tend to see like particular themes that come across things that just sort of uh consistently happen like Martin Scorsese says like every director makes the makes the same movie just like with different different characters and things. And I think it's the same thing with writers. So I, I want to mm. know, have you noticed any consistent themes across your works? And if so, like, what are your thoughts on that or them? It, it's obviously hard to say that when I've only got one thing that's kind of well. out in the public. <laughs> um, but, but no, and I think and I, I did touch on it earlier. And I think there is an element of cynicism, but I hope that it's tinged with humour um and enough kind of optimism that it's not just pure cynicism mm-hmm. <laughs> and, that, that there's, and I think I mean one of the biggest you know you, you mentioned the quote earlier is Terry Pratchett um you know that's been a big influence on kind of how I view how you can tell a story but also still say something you know so you can tell a funny story you can tell a genre fiction story but you know it can still have that message and I think yeah that hopefully with you know we'll we'll sort of come through but yeah I think almost that weary cynicism which is, which is bad at 35 <laughs> <laughs> okay okay weary cynicism weary cynicism <laughs> is John's trademark um, but with humor centric <laughs> humor centric humor, humor and optimism yeah. um all right one thing I would do want to ask you about some of the business aspects of of running your show so one thing that I saw when I was scrolling through your Twitter was on June 16th, you had a tweet that said, I have a love-hate relationship with social media. I mean, it's destroying society as we know it. But on the other hand, promoting shows on MSN Messenger would be a lot more work. So I just want to kind of, you know, I just kind of want to ask based off of that, like, how do you navigate using social media to promote your show when you don't necessarily like being on the platform yourself? <laughs> Forgive me if I'm being presumptuous. <clears throat> No, firstly, I, I I put a load of work into that graphic that went out <laughs> with that one, and I hid. If you, if you look at the, the the usernames that are hidden in that thing, there are loads of shows, uh, and it got about four likes. <laughs> so, but um, no, I mean, obviously, social media is part of my day job as well um, as a content writer. Uh, you know, I have to know social media and, and kind of do it. And I, I think if you are going to do a podcast I think to a certain extent yeah you can do one and release one and and kind of sit back and let it you know do as you wish but I think to get the serious lessons you do have to kind of promote it as you would anything you know really um if you're doing it and I think I have periods probably with social media where I'll get really into one and I'll post it all the time and then I'll get really sick of it and I'll delete it and I just won't look at it for ages um I I do think, on the whole, it's probably not been the best thing for humankind. <laughs> I, and so I think that tweet probably probably wasn't as as tongue in cheek um, as it as it maybe made out. But you know, there, there are good things that you know you could do with it. Um, I just don't think it's particularly the most healthy thing. And I think, particularly as you understand more about how social media works and how it actually drives behaviour rather than you know, the users driving the social media, you know, which which was the original plan. I think it, it, you do see that more kind of insidious nature with it. Um, and then obviously, you know, you have the mental health aspects of it as well, you know, projecting things that aren't realistic. The main place that I promote my business business is not Twitter, it's LinkedIn, mm. which is probably where my biggest love and relationship comes in. <laughs> and, you know, that is really, you know, everybody's giving it the big I am, you know, because they're trying to sell their business and look amazing. And I, yeah, I, I, I do it as much as I have to <laughs> uh, for the business, but most of the time, you know, I, I hide from it as much as possible. But I do actually enjoy Twitter, funny enough, and I think particularly the audio drama community is really friendly yeah. <laughs> I mean, you know and you know you, you know you don't get 
the aspect you do in other parts of Twitter, you know, it is generally very supportive. And I think, you know, no other aspect of my life, you know, could you post something and a load of people who are technically in competition for listens would be so supportive. And so like, this is amazing. <laughs> Let's retweet all this. And I think that aspect has been great. And, you know, I, I well, it's why I've done so much on Twitter as, a, as opposed to things like Facebook, I guess. Okay. They are very friendly. It's a very, it's a very sweet Twitter community. Mm, definitely. So do you have any like marketing strategies for offline promotion? No. Um, for the very fact, offline tends to cost money. Well, that's true. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, we just don't have the budget. Um, I, and it's one of those weird things in the offline. I mean, I did have an offline strategy at the start. and It was very much to try and target particularly the media and the traditional media within Wales. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it just didn't happen. I, I think at the time we released it, you know, work started picking up and then, you know, with the social, I mean, you know, you know how much social media you have to do to kind of keep, keep things sort of going. It's almost the second job, isn't it? it um, is. so yeah, I mean, we, we just didn't in the end for, for the first season, uh, you know, for it, but I still think there probably is scope to do one, um, for the second season and, but hopefully, you know, that there will be crowdfunding and things hopefully in place ahead of the second season. Ooh, let's talk about crowdfunding. So I saw, I don't know where I saw it, but I did see it that Gather the Suspects now has a Ko-Fi coffee. You can buy them a coffee, buy you guys a coffee. Am I correct? Is that, is that up and launched or? It is. Um, we never talk about it, Okay, <laughs> but it is, we, we do have one. Uh, I mean, this is one of the conversations I was with some other creators and before I launched was, you know, do we go down the Patreon route? And, you know, we came to the conclusion of, you know, we're, we're a six episode series. We can't go and ask somebody to pay a monthly subscription and, you know, keep giving every month where you'll get six episodes and then nothing for, for potentially a year. Uh-huh. And then, you know, another six episodes. Uh, so it was always, you know, how, you know, how do we look at that, that sort of crowdfunding piece? And I mean, I think we do mention uh, our Kofi account on in our credits. I think it's been a while since, since I've listened. Since I didn't hear it from there. I, I found it on your uh, Podbean. There's a link. There's a link to it. But yeah, yeah. So I think yeah, it might be on our Twitter. But so, but yeah, we don't really. I think the main way we're going to do it is look at an actual crowdfunding campaign um, for the second, which has you know these will be the tangible benefits you know that you will get um if you give us some money to you know make this season mm. and how and how are you uh like what's your marketing uh grassroots ground plan for for that like how are you planning to get that out there and like what are your because crowdfunding takes a lot of work so i just i'm I'm looking for tips personally this is a personal thing how are you, <laughs> how are you going about promoting that uh so there are a few things we've gone place at the moment i'm actually I've been lucky enough to be put in touch with somebody who's a crowdfunding expert. Um, so we're talking to her about different things that, that you know, that we can do. Um, I, it will involve me having to be a lot more visible on some platforms <laughs> than we probably are at the moment. Uh, I think somebody who seems to be quite good at promoting their their, their stuff is, is Spaceships. Yes, yeah, they are podcast you know they they seem to do it quite well you know the the stuff that they give away and you know it is how they kind of release bit by bit and and things yeah i think is is probably good and follow but yeah i think really it 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 is gonna have to be that almost blitz of the period that it happens uh which will obviously take a lot of preparation in terms of messaging uh scheduling uh before it actually goes live Mm. Okay. And all right. So, I mean, that makes sense. And I, I wish you the best. I, I hope you get all the funding you need to like pay all your cast and crew and do all the marketing and just be as successful as you, as you'll be. But, um, what kind of whining? Yeah. Oh, go ahead. Uh, I, I mean, for us, it was always, I mean, because, you know, the, the cast are amazing, you know, and they, they did the first season of the kindness of their hearts, you know, <laughs> but we were aware, you know, when we'd be doing season two as well, there's not going to be a pandemic on, you know, theatres might be open again. <laughs> People will have other priorities. Um, you know, it would be really nice, you know, to be able to pay the cast. Um, the rest of the production, you know, we're quite happy kind of doing things as we do, but, it, you know, I think it is important when we can, you know, to try and get the cast money essentially. Mm. 
most definitely it's always it's always good to pay you people uh okay so we're, we're kind of winding down the interview now we got 10 minutes left and i got a couple questions left for you john so first questions first uh what exactly are you listening to uh like what podcasts are on your listen list because it's always just good to shout out other people and just spread the love yes uh you, you've probably seen i i I always have a list on Sundays that I post out. I, I think I do a lot. I do most of my listening late at night instead of bed. And I think it, there's I, I probably find at least one new series a week. But at the moment, I think my big favorite is Haunted House Flippers. Okay. Uh, which is a, about a married couple who inherit a old house. Uh, which they decide to do up uh, to live in, and it's it, it's a spooky comedy essentially. <laughs> I, a, I mean, there's a very similar dynamic in the main couple between Jack and Carrie. You know, there's the bickering and there's the back and forth. Um, and yeah, I just I just love it, and I really look forward to kind of every episode that comes out. Um, the other one is Midnight Burger. Oh, okay, yeah, uh, which is just fantastic and it's about a burger joint that travels through space and time <laughs> and the, while the universe tries to destroy it uh and yeah it's you know i've seen people mention on reddit recently you know that, that it's almost reached that kind of modern classic stage already you know which is a huge sort of achievement but i think yeah that's a really good one um to listen to the other one call of the void mm-hmm. uh which is obviously got quite big as well but is yeah just a very good story um a lovecraftian style horror story all right you you're very into horror are you going to do a horror series in the future no and i think probably they are the only horror ones i listen to which i think is a bit strange i mean my audio stuff is very skewed towards sci-fi comedy Mm -hmm. generally uh it's just so happens there's not a load of sci-fi comedies currently on my radar <laughs> but like, most of my favorite series of all time things like um we fix space junk mars corp and things yeah mm-hmm. or kind of in that yeah in that sphere really okay all right i'll put those on my list i'm looking forward to them okay so then we come to my second to last question so john you're very clearly on your way i mean you you've made a really really good show gathering suspects is great um you made a great show uh, you're going to make a great second season, a second, third season. You've got shows coming down the pike with like really interesting concepts. And I, I just want to know, like, since you're doing all this stuff and you're climbing up the ladder, how will you know when you've made it? Uh, well, when someone pays me. Okay. <laughs> no, 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 and I think it, as I said, you know, it's, it's always been, I've never had a creator. It's always been a list of things I want to write and, you know, there are a list of few more things within audio that, you know, I want to do and I kind of want to experiment with and, and kind of work out. And I think once those are done, we'll, we'll kind of see where I am and kind of see, yeah, what the next step is really. All right. Okay. All right. Well, will you tell the people where they can find you? Uh, yes. So, uh, well, I mean, we're available across all uh, all podcast apps um but we are uh, i you're gonna ask me for my website address now which i don't know uh <laughs> off the top of my head i think it's gatherthesuspects.podbean.com obviously we've got quite good seo so if you type in gather the suspects we do appear first and look at that the second episode of the third season of on their way is finito on their way was created hosted and edited by me jade madison scott the theme was composed by bajo alvarado and the logo was created by amaka cory if you'd like to help us continue to make podcasts that you like, you can support us on Patreon for as little as $1 a month. In addition to helping us out, you'd also gain early access to episodes and exclusive content, so that's a win-win in my book. You can find the link on our website, wgcproductions.com. You can also show us some love by following us at With Good Co. on Twitter and Instagram and telling your friends about us. Next week, our guest is Bex Goose, who you might better know as Potato Lady Podcast Reviews. As always, I appreciate you for listening, and please take care of yourself and each other.